it work? Did we go live, Jeff? I don't know. Oh, yeah, it did. We are live. Welcome, everybody. And welcome to episode five of season two here on our Star Trek D Space Nine rewatch as we continue our three and a half year journey to talk about this show. I'm Dave Mater, joined with my brother Jeff Mater tonight. We are absent Jamil Robinson. We're not sure where he is, but he's probably indisposed at the moment. He's probably been um, deposed here, Jeff, by maybe by some, some kind of Cardassian plot to uh, discredit some kind of politician. Right. Um, season two of Jesus Nine is like eating a stew of Zabo meat. Sometimes you'll get a delicious bite of Zabo, but for the most part, it's been a bitter taste. But I think this episode stands out a little bit. I think this is maybe a juicy part of the Zabo. Maybe some rocasa juicy. Maybe there's some yamak sauce that will go with their Zabo meat. Yeah, get the Garrick likes to drink the rocasa juice. It soothes his nerves. Rocasa juice. This dude doesn't look that bad. I don't get why Rugal and uh, O'Brien uh, they're, they're thumb their nose up better. They look at each other. They're like, yeah, yeah, that does suck. Yeah, okay, cool. Because, uh, yeah, and so they, they don't like um, the Cardassian. They don't like Cardassians or, yeah, and, and O'Brien's uh, racism was showing, but I think that this was good. I think that there was, uh, in terms of how they portrayed it in the, in the narrative. Um, and this episode was a lot better, Jeff, than I remembered it being. Right. Um, uh, well, I mean, Garrick and Goldicott both get to shine in the episode quite a bit. It's a, their first episode together. This is the first time Garrick's been back since season one, his brief appearance in season one, right? Yes. And this episode, especially uh, on the rewatch, you stand at how much of a point they make to uh, include Bashir and pretty much the whole episode is about like how Cisco is just annoyed by Bashir, but he's kind of like just wearing him down. And I think like, I think Bashir takes a, a big turn in this episode. I think this care, his character in terms of the Bashir will come to know as who he is. Like in terms of when I think of D face nine and I think of Bashir in just the context of the show, I have a very different Bashir than we have in the season one version or even leading into this early part of season two. But this was the first time where I saw the, the, the Bashir who was intrigued by mystery, who got tough with Garrick. When he said, no, we're stopping this runabout. Garrick, until you tell me what's going on and what exactly it is you think is happening. Um, that, that's an aggressiveness, uh, assertiveness from Bashir we have not seen up until this point. Um, and I think that they were finally trying yeah. to give him something to do. And he interrupts the conversation with Cisco and Ducat and like you know starts interrogating Ducat. And then like Cisco was like, What the hell was that? And, <laughs> and he's like, you know, don't do it again. What do you what do you think what do you think this is? You can just butt in and you he's know He's like, Oh, so Derek, who isn't telling you about anything, yeah. uh, gave you a hunch about you don't know what. So you interrupted my discussion with a, a, like a politically relevant discussion that has major consequences, you junior officer uh, dumbass. Um, yeah. yeah, I liked that moment. That was good. That was good. But it was also like good because it was Bashir kind of like getting a taste of what it's like. To mix it up in the rope with the, in the ropes with Cisco and Ducat, and he started to get like he's growing. He's growing even more than Dax is at this point. I think he's he, he's starting to become more of a um, an interesting character for me than than Dax is. Uh, and it's so it's fast. It's faster than I thought. I thought I was going to hate Bashir, but I still might. I still do kind of hate him. He's a dweeb still. 
Right. Uh, but the big, big part about Bashir's character ultimately is his sort of relationship with Garrick, which was only set right. up briefly in season one with their brief encounter, right? right. And right. now we get this whole episode where they're, they're sort of together here solving this mystery together or Garrick solving it and Bashir's kind of tagging along trying to figure out what, what, is it, what it is. Um, and is it, all, it all concerns this issue of Cardassian war orphans. So, you know, the, these when the Cardassians left Bajor just before the beginning of season one of Deep Space Nine, um, there were a number of orphans, children of Cardassians that were left behind on the planet. And just because of the way Cardassian society is and their culture is, that, that um, children without parents have no status in their society. So they're sort of pariahs. They're sort of like forgotten about. Because the the Cardassian societies will come to learn more about in this in this episode is is that the family is everything they talk about the four generations eating at the same table that that's a huge part of who they are. Also, what is the one defining characteristic? Garrick asks about all Cardassians, right? What is the one trait you would you would assign to all members of my race? And you're kind of thinking like, is he? I've seen this a few times, but I was like, what brutality, conquering people, you know. Uh, but he says no it's our attention to detail that is our our most uh unique trait that our most defining trait about cardassians our record keeping and and garrick's able to exploit that record keeping trait and how things went to kind of expose here what gold ducat is up to also in trying to sort of take down one of his political rivals who he disagreed with about the withdrawal from bajor uh, that that was a political right. decision. That right. it's, a little bit of a, it's a little bit of political payback uh, that Ducat's trying to get, it seems like. It's not even really that relevant to what's going on today. It is a little bit, it seems like, at, like at the time. But it's a little bit. it seems a little bit more of a revenge thing because he was pissed off, uh, which is good for Ducat. I mean, they, they, they build him up as this like, villain, but you kind of like Ducat. You know, he... They will, they will, but at this point, we don't really know Dukat very well at all. No. We we see him having these conversations with Cisco. Um, they, they, coming down this season, they will use more and more Dukat, and he will become a, a huge recurring character. But in the first season, he kind of he shows up in the very first episode, right? He's, and then he's he's only on a few phone calls, and this is the first time we've seen Goldukat like on the station walking around since the pilot. Yes, that's right. That right. was a fun fact, but it's been, you know, but you, you, are, you are correct. Well, I think it's important because he's such a Marco Limo uh, and 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 Andrew Robinson as as Ducat and Garrick respectively is great. This is a great setup for what the series is. It's a great setup for who Bashir is and becomes yes. uh, the Garrick Bashir thing, the Garrick Ducat thing set up. I think I, I think it's it's great here that they uh, make them adversaries and that they are definitely not friends right <laughs> because just well, the way yeah. that eric laughs when he goes yeah. you know your friend goldukat was so concerned he just goes like i bet he was yeah right? yeah yeah he, and he's just he's like he just ignores it he's just like and he's uh, so he's he's on about some orphan boy thing or whatever and then he gets all interested right oh i'm sure he's very concerned about the orphan boy the orphan yeah. <laughs> yeah that sounds like ducat that sounds right. like something ducat would be up to um like and they talk about like in the 90s 
that Ducat was definitely the more popular character. Garrick was not as popular at the time that the show was on. Uh, maybe with the writers he was, but not necessarily with the uh, the viewers. Um, but now it's it's very much flipped, where Garrick in the modern era of the OS9 fandom has become like the uh, most iconic Cardassian. Hence this title, the, the title of this episode, Cardassians, um, setting up those the most two important Cardassian characters in all of Star Trek, let alone just Deep Space Nine. I'd say. Yeah, and they bring in some other Cardassian characters to fill in here with the. The Gulvadar guy, whatever the, the father guy, yeah, R- R- Rugal, which is Rugal. a little poor little Rugal, yeah. So and Rugal bites Garrick's hand at the beginning of this episode, he just bites his hand, and you kind bites of think of a huge chunk out. Yeah. Those Cardassians those Cardassians can bite. They, maybe that's another defining characteristic, Jeff. Dave, that uh, is the moral question of this episode for me: is should Rugal go back to Bajor with? Parents who hate his race but love him, or go back to Cardassia with parents who love his race but probably will hate him. That's the dilemma. Okay, well, what's the what's the real like? I'm sure that this has happened in human history, uh, more probably more recently, where like let's say even in World War II or something like that, where um, children, uh, you know, of the enemy are left behind, uh, you know, and they are raised as pariahs or, you know, they're, they're outcasts in their own society. I'm sure that there's a lot of real world metaphors for that and how you sort what, how, who the victims of war are, you know, American baby raised in North Korea. Right. Or like, you know, Vietnam, I'm sure there was, there was cases of this, right. Or um, it's, it's happened throughout human history where you sort of have, children displaced by war left behind uh sometimes be raised by the people who were were the victims of of that of that child's group or tribe or whatever so um it's it's i thought it was important i think it was showing more about what is sort of like the political fallout uh or not just political but what is the 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 i want to say global or the effect of it but it's not it's uh it's it's what are the consequences of Cardassia leaving Bajor, right? Because there's, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be, you know, there are going to be people who are hurt or, you know, not less people, like 10 million people died in, in the Bajoran, the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, as they say in this episode. So the Cardassians definitely um, have blood on their hands. The Cardassian empire. Right, right? But you Garrick know? says in this episode, he says like, they meant to do that. They meant to leave those old friend boys. Mm-hmm. You know? So girls. don't forget about the girls and the girls. Uh, yeah. Excuse and, me, sir. Are you here to take me back to Cardassia? Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, do the kids want to go back to Cardassia, or do they eventually grow to hate Cardassia? What What's the right path for the kids? In the case of Rugal, he's he resents where who and where he comes from. Um, but but. So I don't know. That? It all. I think it all depends on how old you were, maybe when you were orphaned, and there's probably different factors. Where's the right place for Rugal to go? Should he go back to Cardassia and learn who he is and like face it head on, or should he stay on Bajor? Where you know that, what, what should happen? What's the audience meant to think? I think. Well, and I think I think it's worth mentioning is the guy who plays um, Rugal's biological father, Kotan Padar. Kotan Padar, which is one of the great. Cardassian names, I gotta say. Kotan Badar. 
<laughs> so he's Rugopadar. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I felt like I knew this actor who was playing Kotan Padar. I didn't, but he was great in this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the father who thought his son died, who lost his wife, but you know, on Bajor and and so and now Rugal who rejects him. And and I thought that he was one of the more human Cardassians, uh, inhuman in that he you felt his vulnerability, you felt his, his how um personal he was and talking about his society in a way that Gold Ducat doesn't and a way that Garrick doesn't. Um, sure, and, he seemed like an Italian, like uncle guy, you know, like you know, it took care of my family, you know, and it's like that, that kind of guy. That's I don't know, he seemed just like a yeah, I, I took him as a great statesman, as some as a, a person of character. Um, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but he at least was part of the reason that the Cardassians got out of Bajor, which I guess it was a good thing that he helped do, right? Maybe because the Bajoran resistance killed. His wife and he thought his kid too. Um, and why so, was he there? But in, in, so, and and so maybe Google has a point. You deserved what happened. You shouldn't have been there in the first place. Right. So the guy that played Kotem Patar is named Robert Mandon. He yeah. was on Soap. He was on Three's a Crowd. He was on Matlock and The Love Boat and yeah, you know, Private Benjamin and all sorts of different TV shows. In the, from the 70s, basically. He was like a career TV actor. Well, I think he's one of the standout parts of this episode, really. Uh, I don't think we saw this character again. And um, he no. was, you know, and so I think that's what lets, because at the end, um, Cisco had us agreed to become this arbiter to help decide which family, the Bajoran family or the Cardassian family that Rugal should live with. And he ultimately decides because Largely because Rugal was 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 a, was a victim of this political ploy of Gold Ducat against Padar, that the right thing is to set him back with his with his father, his biological father, and not leave him on Bajor just because of that. Uh, and I guess he we're, we're we're led to believe that Rugal was about twelve, right? Because he was four when he was orphaned, and it was about eight years ago that that happened. So that would make sense. So he's still a minor, but I think that. Um, he was good in the episode too, although I think he's much older than twelve. Um, and O'Brien, like in how he plays into this story, Keiko and 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 um, Miles, and uh, you know they taught you know because K- O'Brien is a is a veteran of the Cardassian Federation War, which was pretty brutal. He saw a lot of his friends killed during that, and he he does have old grudges for the Cardassians. We saw this in uh, the in the Next Gen episode. Um, uh, sorry, the one with uh, the song. You know the one I mean. Yeah. Um, the Minstrel Boy, right? Where him and his little, his little captain couldn't let go of the Cardassian War because his family had been killed in that. And right. that but So O'Brien had already had that moment in his in his TV career, the O'Brien character here, um, but he's it, it shows here that he still does have these prejudices. He says these, he's 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 horrified at the idea of Rugal playing with Molly. He is, uh, you know, he says to Keiko, uh, gentleness was bred out of these Cardassians a long time ago, um, and and it's it's not very evolved for a 24th century human. No, but but O'Brien always has to play the babysitter for some reason. In a lot of episodes, it's like, well, we already have a kid, and 
Sure. So, Keiko so, needs so Cisco. He has Jake. I know, but yeah, so it was like Keiko needs something to do. Jake is Jake even in this episode? I don't think he no. is. No. No, and it's interesting that they didn't bring Jake in to interact with Rugal, considering they're roughly the same age. Yeah, I th- like you thought like when they were like sending Rugal to the school, I was like, okay, well then Jake will be there, Nog, you know, type thing. It's all the whole hearing takes place in the in the school, right? <laughs> it's a little odd on the promenade. They do would it. You, um, would you have liked if they had brought Rugal or? Kotar Patan back in a later episode. Not Rugal. I think I got my fill of Rugal in this episode. You know what? Rugal? He did a good job for what this was. Um, but I think that the Kotan Padar was somebody I would have liked to have seen again. Um, or I would have liked to him to play more into the story. But I understand why they didn't. They had a lot to work with with just Dukat and Garrick. And they bring tomorrow on later on. And I'm trying to think who else is a big Cardassian character. And Abintan, of course. Right? Right? So, yeah, it was good. Like, that, that part was all good. I, I, I thought there was so much beginning. I feel like the show was taking a leap. Compared to what we were watching a few weeks ago with that Bajoran trilogy. Yes. Yeah, this was better. Even though it was still playing into the Bajoran occupation fallout. And how Bajor and the planet and the system and the sector is changing. Um and how they're dealing with things. I I, I kind of like this episode just from the fact that like Garrick Andrew Robinson gets a lot of bone to chew on uh, as far as acting, as far as like what what it means for him as a Cardassian. It's just like a lot of the his sinister sinister attitude, and it just, he's screwing with Bashir all the time. And but he but he means well, and but he's also kind of like shaping Bashir into the character that we're gonna like. Uh, I don't. I think without Garrick, we don't get a good Bashir later on. I think, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. Without Andrew Robinson coming into this series and playing Garrick as much as he did, uh, there must have been something in that first appearance that intrigued them enough to like write this whole episode where Garrick and Ducat were both heavily prominent, and they set a whole bunch of stuff up here. And they were kind of adversaries as well. They were kind of setting them up as adversaries. As adversaries, and was Garrick somebody that we could be trusted and whatever? I think that his energy is amazing here. Where when he says to uh, that one that that school teacher there, when he's uh, when he's coming to like read about the records, and he was like, you know, I can. Um, what is he? What did she say? Like I wasn't here in the days when that was when the when that adoption took place. I was in the underground, and he goes, "Oh, oh well, maybe we met. Maybe we do know each other." <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was like, great. He has so many great moments uh, in this episode where he just like says like something where you're just like, "Wow, <laughs> you don't see it coming," but it works so well because of his attitude, his his charm. Yeah, do you, how do you think that came to be? Do you think he just took that dialogue and he just brought a whole new energy to the character? And yeah, I think like he, he I think like especially in this episode, like I think he just has a, a certain charm or attitude to the character, and then he just takes the dialogue and kind of like l- lays it on, and then the writers help him out back, and then he he has a certain way of like just. Dialogue and discourse, like he has a certain way of going about it, and he's one of the best waltzers, I would say, as far as kind of like Varys or a Baelish in Game of Thrones. He has a lot of those same abilities to kind of like just paint the canvas with his words. 
Yeah, he just does a great job, and I, I understood why. The, I, I, it's it's crazy to me that certain people were never see series regulars, himself included, like Andrew Robinson as Garrick, because uh, he's he lives on the station. He's in this show way more than Keiko is, for instance. Uh, <laughs> way way more than even Jake. Mm-hmm. You know, but he he never really had that status. Not that it really matters, but there's uh, there's all these people who I think are main cast but aren't considered main cast and i, I think garrick is one of them um maybe not at this point in the show but like from season five on the last three seasons certainly garrick was only on to deep space nine he's like rom rom's main cast too well, but not but not originally right like you know these these were background characters or recurring characters that sort of earned their way and even even they, i think nog wasn't necessarily going to have as much screen time in his play as he did or wasn't they didn't know for sure, but he ended up doing it because Aaron Eisenberg did so great with the role. And I think when you have great actors, it just gives writers a lot to do. Like, hey, what? Well, maybe Garrett. I know Andrew Robinson can pull this kind of line off, or I think Aaron Eisenberg can do this, or this would play well. And so, so that's why these shows, these Star Trek shows, do tend to get better as they go. And we see this leap here where the show has been really faltering for a while and gotten gotten better. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And what this episode kind of like is it's starting to break away from the season one kind of boringness that they were going with a lot of just like plot wise. It was a lot lot of stuff. It was kind of stagnant show. And I feel like this episode was kind of like getting the engine going, you know, um, for what we're going to get in the future. And I I think the Cardassians are probably like the best. One of the best things about DC's nine is the Cardassian element to the, the way the station's designed. They, they refer to Tarek Noor. You got uh, Goldakai. You got, uh, you know, Garrick. We don't have ZL because she's not around yet, but when she is, like, she's a big Cardassian character as well. Uh, kind of like, you know, but she, like, Rugal's the pre-ZL, maybe. Um, and, and, like, yeah, so, like, I, I don't know. Like, they have a great... I, I could watch a whole show. Just if they did a whole Cardassian Star Trek show, I'd watch that. Well, the Cardassians are really interesting, and the Bajorans less so. <laughs> but the Cardassians, well, that's why they're interesting. Is because they're maybe not as noble, or not as completely noble. They seem to they resemble our society a little bit more in a lot of other ways, or the humans of the twentieth century at least. Um, Do you then, think it'd be cool if they did a movie or a story or a show about like the Bajoran occupation and like they? They like. Do you think that would be like to do like a whole resistance cell, like you know, Star Trek resistance cell, and do, do like a whole, like a whole show? A whole I don't show know. Like I don't know if I need a whole show about that. Like, I think that there's, the you maybe could do smaller stories, like maybe a mini series. I don't know, but yeah. um, something. I don't need a. I don't need a series about the Bajoran occupation. Uh, necessarily i'm i'm always like i don't want to go back i already know what happened i want to know what's going to happen next and so if you did a bajoran occupation story i would just be like well i know they're going to win their freedom in 2369 so the rest of this is sort of like for not um all right fair enough yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it just like I would like to. See, I I would like a show maybe that's not focused on one particular backstory thing. But if you could like fill in the gaps about this, that, or or whatever, I would I like that. 
Yeah, as you went along, type thing. You can do right. a, you can do a, you can do a show that is like every episode is like okay this this is a story about trills or this is a story about um, I don't know the brain or whatever you want to do. That'd be cool. That'd be cool yeah. Right. That that you know you could even do it. You could do it with a ship that just goes to these places. But you could do, Star, do it. Star Trek species. Every every episode is about a different species. I think it's more interesting to do like a Black Mirror almost format where every story is a new story or something's mm-hmm. intriguing about it, but you can learn something about the story, uh, about the universe that without, well, I don't need, like, that's why I'm like, okay, but now you're going to do a Bajoran occupation show and what's that going to be? And now you're going to want to write new stories that are not going to fit well into what's already been established. And then we'll get into messes right. that could be with enterprise. I think you're so, right. It'd be better if it was like a black mirror type show. Right, like it's like asking, like, do you think it'd be cool to have a show where, like, I said a hundred years before Kirk about a crew that is the first starship in space? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay, here it is. It's Enterprise. Uh, I don't like this so much. Uh, so it's it, it could work, but it's I think it's more likely to not work. That has a lot more to do with the casting, though, to me, and the uh, what, what and the writing. It, it, the writing. It's not just about premise. You're right. Like D Space Nine as a premise is kind of interesting, but there, it's just there's not a lot there. There's not a lot of meat on the bone. You have to kind of invent it from the ground up, which maybe is what made it good. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, the, yeah, like you said, this is an episode where like we got Dukat, we got Garrick. We want to put these guys in episodes because we like them. And mm-hmm. I think they made sure to write an episode that was like, okay, we'll just bring that one from Boy in. We'll have a bring a guest star. We'll do that, and then we'll have the Garrick Dukat mystery thing that Bashir will make Bashir less lame. Yeah, well, I think that the fact that Bashir actually has some guts, right? right. But I feel like Cisco wants to hit him. Okay, when he when when um, when when so Garrick shows up in Bashir's quarters while he can't sleep. He's tossing and turning on those uncomfortable Cardassian beds. Which, by the way, we maybe brought this up before. We will definitely bring it up again. I don't understand why they have to sleep on Cardassian beds if they're not comfortable. Can they not just replicate human beds? They could, but that wouldn't be funny. <laughs> could the Enterprise not drop off a bed or a couple beds? No, couldn't. No? Couldn't spare. Couldn't spare a square. No, they're like these. These quarters can only hold a Cardassian bed. If you try to put a human bed in these quarters, won't work. Don't know why it just won't. It's it it's whatever. But anyway, so so Garrick shows up, and then so um so 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 Bashir, and is this is the second time he annoys Cisco in the episode where he shows up to ask for the runabout to go to Bajor, and Cisco's in his pajamas with yes. a bathrobe. Jeff, I want to talk about this outfit because yes. I don't know what's what he doing. What was exactly going on there? I need to know. Is it is um have we seen Cisco wear pajamas before? Before or since this, I don't think so. But the neckline on Cisco is also very. Um, I got it there. Right, and he's just looking at, at Bashir like, "Are you serious?" And he's like, "I'd like to borrow a runabout." He's like, "Oh, just one runabout, huh?" You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't, was this really a, a thing that he had to ask Cisco's permission for? Like to go to to borrow a runabout to go to Bajor? like yes, Garrick so woke him up. Car, Dad, please, uh, Garrick woke him up, and they had to go to Bajor and figure this out. And he's well, yeah, it was just silly. Um, is, yeah. Again, I'm like, all right, but I just like I just I love Cisco just having no time for Bashir. He clearly, does not like him. 
He doesn't like him waking him up in the middle of the night. He it doesn't. It's not that he doesn't like him. He doesn't like what he does. He doesn't like him interrupting him when he's talking to. I Golda go as far as to say that Cisco doesn't like Bashir. At this well, point, he, at least. I would say he doesn't like him. I don't think anybody likes Bashir that much. I think Jedzir is friendly with him. I think O'Brien likes him by now. No, or no? No, O'Brien doesn't even like him at this point. No, he still, still hates him. Still hates him. I think that's why Bashir and Garrick make sense to become friends because Bashir is kind of the outcast. Like he's kind of like the guy nobody likes. Uh, he's sort of like he's part of the senior staff and he's a competent doctor, but beyond that, they don't seem to have much use for him. And they kind of both are charming, but in different ways. You know, like they, 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 if there was a charm scale, Bashir would be on one side and Garrick would be on the other. They're very different at charming. Uh, I would say, right? I like I like their banter. I like I like the fact that Derek is clearly smarter than Bashir. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, is he? I think so. I always that's my always my read on it. Uh, is that Bashir? Uh, Garrick is always a step ahead of Bashir. Yeah, so that I agree with. He's a step ahead of him. But I don't like, especially once they reveal the genetic, um, whatever they did, Bashir. engineering, engineering. Then I think they make it kind of like Bashir is smarter. Well, they did, yeah, they turned Bashir into a super person after that, saying that he always was. But why well, did you know? Do you think they just came up with that later and they were like, let's just change that about Bashir, or were they always going to reveal that at some point? Or I don't think it was always the plan of the show. No, by any means, it's interesting. Kind of should they if they had done it from the beginning, it would it have been better? Um, would it have been better if we had known that about him? Uh, going yeah, like right, if that happened in season one, like that episode, like or, or right around now, like when do they find out he's genetically engineered? I know it's not till like season five, I think. So it's um, right, you know, and it's kind of interesting too. Um, but at the same, and I like I like that episode just in terms of how he talks about before the genetic engineering, he couldn't tell a house from a dog or whatever it was but uh, that, that he was so far behind that his parents felt like they had to do it and i think that there's a lot of like i'm i think when we get to that episode there's a lot to unpack there um but he, i don't think that sadig el fadil or alexander sadig or whatever he, name he chooses to go by would have played this part the way he did if he had known that stuff right right if they right. said okay well the thing with your character is he's genetically engineered you know, I think he always would have played it more confident or more intellectual than instead of sort of this more than he did. And I, I, I do, I don't think that the Bashir character changed that much after that reveal, really. Other than he was more confident, but I always chalk that up to he's in the war. He's sort of like they, like they, his spirit has been broken, like by the Dominion War, right? But it makes I mean, sense that he was smart. You know, well, he's a doctor. Like, he's right. going to be smart, <laughs> right? So it was easy to write into it that he was like, "Oh, he was," but he's super smart, and you don't understand. And uh, like it would have been like they already knew about the eugenics wars before they wrote DC Nine, right? Like that wasn't something they came up with later, right? Uh, right, that was already established. Yeah, but there wasn't a ton about genetic engineering other than it was banned among humans, and it's not banned among the other species in the Federation, just among humans. Hmm. That's a that's a human Earth specific law because of the eugenics wars so the human race decided to ban genetic engineering but other species definitely practice it 
like the Cardassians. Like the Cardassians, like the Klingons, um, like others have done it. Like they dabble in it for better or worse. Right. Usually, right. usually it's usually bad. Usually, doesn't go well. But is that funny? Yeah, fun facts, Jeff. Uh, oh, we can do we can do that. Uh, so it's a, bring it up, but I mean, it, uh, I enjoyed the episode. I, have to say. I did. It was great. Like it was a lot better than I remembered. I wasn't super excited coming into it for this one. I was like, "Oh, it's the one. It's Cardassian. He's a Cardassian." But um, this was great. This was a great episode. If I had to take anything away from it, it's the fact that the lighting is a little too TNG for me in a lot of scenes. Yeah, um, this episode does feel very TNG, with especially with the Rugal stuff. Feels like. It's a TNG scene on the DS9 set. Well, yeah, just the way it's lit. Um, I don't know who directed the episode. Let's see. Uh, Cliff Bowl, who's uh, done a bunch of stuff, uh, a bunch of next gen. And yeah, he did 25 next gen episodes, 70 Space Nine. So he's definitely more of a next gen director in 10 Voyagers. But um, so it was something about the, the lighting and the feel and some of the framing of the scenes that felt very next generation to me. Um, like I thought that the, in particular, the hearing in the classroom felt strange the whole way that was staged. And I don't know, they keep like D space nine does a, a series of courtroom dramas. Right. And remember that when we did the Dax one, it was in quarks, right? They closed down quarks so they could do the, da- the, the, the trial for her there right. or the hearing. And then, and then when Worf later on will have his trial, it will be in like this conference room. And but then here, this one is in the in the classroom. So and rules. then no, mm-hmm. rules. no rules. I just don't know. I think it's it's sort of strange that D Space Nine does not have a proper meeting place. You think they would have put that into the set like later on? You think if you're gonna build that huge promenade set? There would be like some kind of like a stage and crowd set, right? You know, you think that'd be part of the church, for instance, or something, um, the Bajoran right. Temple, but it's not. Like the, that, and so it's one of the more it's one of the missteps, I think, of this of this set to, set to, uh, design. You know, it's just there's there's never anywhere good for them to have a meeting. Yeah, probably. Anyway, okay. Um, Fun facts. Um, this is the first time the, uh, there's reference to the Cardassian name of DC9 Tarek Nor. So it's the first time they mentioned it, that dude. And, That's the first time? Yeah, this is the first episode when they call it Tarek Nor. Um, this is the first time since the pilot that Gold Ducat has visited DC9. All right. I, I, I spoiled you there, Jeff. I remembered. I figured that out. Director Cliff Bull defines this episode as being. About humanist values. Humanist. Define what's humanist. I don't know. Humanism is a philosophical stance that emphasizes the value and agency of human beings individually and collectively. So basically, like, like I've met Cardassians I didn't like, and I've met Cardassians right. I have liked. That it's not about, it's about choice and who you are, not about your species or your tribe or anything like else. Garrick, the Cardassian Taylor, is seen for the first time since his initial appearance in Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, past prologue. So, haven't had him for a while, but 
We get him here. Well, it was a big leap. It was like they went from giving him like three lines in past prologue to giving him basically most of this episode with Bashir, which great move. Yes. The novel The Never-Ending Sacrifice depicts Rugal's life after Cardassians. It begins just after the episode ends and continues for eight years. Yes, yeah, somebody wrote this. So somebody continued the story? That's right. In a book called The Never-Ending Sacrifice. Which is the, isn't that the name of the book that, that uh, Garrick loves that he tells Bashir to read on later on the show? Oh, Did you read right? The Never-Ending Sacrifice? And Bashir's like, yeah, I was reading it. And then it's about how this family uh, uh, loses everything. They give everything up to the state. And then the next generation just does it again. He's like, isn't it great? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what Cardassians love. They love the idea of, uh, of, their, of their homeland, of their country. Of like their, uh, they're, they're very proud of the fatherland. They're very, they're very Nazi. <laughs> very yeah, German. They're Germans. Yeah. The Germans, yeah. The, the yeah even, Garrick even says, like, he's like, we're the good at uh, keeping records, and we taught lots of different places to keep records. Who would that be? <laughs> yeah, the Germans. <laughs> the Germans are an industrious people. Uh, have Rugal was born in 2358. This takes place in 2370. Right. And that's it. That's fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Oh, that's it. That was the shortest fun facts ever. All right. All right. Let's rate this episode. Uh, let me get the rating. I don't know what happened to Jamil. There is one goof. Garrick refers to the Cardassian father as Padur rather than Padar. Who does? Garrick. Maybe it's a regional dialect. Okay. I do like the, the whole line he has, though, where he's like, truth doctor is in the eye of the beholder. I never tell the truth because I don't believe there is such a thing. That's why I prefer the straight line simplicity of cutting cloth. Like, that's a really well-written dialogue, I would say. Great, like yeah, some great dialogue they gave him, um, and you know, but it's 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 the whole package, right? It's the whole vibe. It's the just looking up the IMDb rating for this episode. That's I believe it's uh, seven point six. So you are correct, seven point six. Okay, so let's rate. <laughs> All right. Uh, so who's not here? Well, everybody else. Uh, okay. So, Jeff, you want to go first? I give this one about an 8.3. 8.3. Okay. I'm going to give it a... I feel like 8.8 .8 is appropriate. <laughs> So that averages between Jeff and I at 8.6 with the 7.6 this episode has comes out to 8.1. That is our best episode since Duet, Jeff. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And I think uh, Jamil and them will probably write, give some good ratings there, too. Yeah, and we'll update the ratings later on if uh, if they choose to submit their ratings. But um, that was, you know, because we've... <laughs> 
okay, considering the average for the Cardassian, um, for the Cardassian trilogy was four point four per every episode. This the is Bajor- the Bajoran trilogy. The Bajoran trilogy. I'm referring to the Homecoming, the Circle, and the Siege, which is the three episodes that opened the second season, uh, which we did not love. We did not really enjoy largely rewatching because it was just boring. Yeah. Boring. Yeah, like not fun, not memorable. But this was great, and this is only three, two episodes later, where we're getting, uh, we're getting Garrick, we're getting Ducat, we're getting like, and and how the Bajorans play into that a little bit. But okay, we didn't talk about the guy who plays the Bajoran father of the Bajoran adoptive father of Rugal. Right. What did you think of him? He's pretty racist himself. <laughs> yeah, right. He might be the most racist person in the episode, but he seems to mean well. But like Brian says it to the Rugal kid, he's like, "Well, what? Why do you want to be with people who hate you?" And he's like, "They don't hate me. They just hate what I am." They kind of you know? do, though. Right? They're kind of probably not the appropriate people to be raising you. They did a good job, and I don't think they're bad people, but um, right. it's probably not the best environment considering. So it is probably good that at the end of the episode, Rugal goes back to Cardassia. Well, we'll have to read The Never-Ending Sacrifice to be sure, Jeff. Yeah, um, never, only The Never-Ending Sacrifice could definitely be the definitive answer of whether or not Rugal should have went back. What did you think of the alien guy that looked like he had two su- suction cups on his forehead? By the name of Zolan. Zolan was the uh, yeah he was the this businessman who was playing Dabo. He was winning um, Dabo quite a bit. He has two mushrooms on his forehead. He kind of looks like a Klingon who got his forehead smashed in. Yeah, what's yeah we don't know the species. Um, yeah, they, so they basically I, my, I, I thought it was okay. Basically, my thought of him was I know he's bad because he's fat. Basically, anytime there's a bad guy character or somebody who's corrupt, that character is always fat. Uh, and he, he usually laughing and loving gambling. Like anybody who like is that one of those things, he, this guy was all of those things. I was like, this guy is lying. He's not he's not trustworthy at all. All he needed was like I think he had it was like some women, like a like a woman on his shoulder, a bunch of money in his hand, which he had. And yeah, there there he is on the screen if you're watching along with us. Yeah. I was like, this guy's definitely evil. He's corrupt or something, right? So he looks like he, I don't even know, like he had pancakes on his fifth head. It looks like the job was interesting. I I find it distracting actually, and you know, um, I don't know. Sometimes and sometimes I think they just throw too many weird aliens in. I'm like, this is one of my other gripes sometimes with Star Trek is there's just so many planets and so many. Aliens, but it's hard to like. I get it's. Do you know what I find strange about Star Trek, especially, is how do like humans and Cardassians and Bajorans all all they all breathe the same air? You know, like like wouldn't Cardassians want like it to be hotter and to be like more like they like different climates? Yeah, but like, like isn't it weird that they both breathe like the same way? You know, and they you know they all. All like all the species need like oxygen the same way, and it's more weird that they all use the same gravity. Well, that too, and then uh, and their their um, perception of time should also be all different. Every species, 
Yeah, depend, well, gravity is a direct uh, fact of that, right? But um, I, we do, I don't know, it will be this season we get this character who comes along who's from the planet where gravity is much lower. Mm-hmm. So, she, but because every other species is kind of from what we consider 1G, like the one standard Earth gravity, that's pretty common, I guess, among these species or among the planets even because mo- any planet that is more than 1G is certainly any more than 5Gs like you can beam down to it you couldn't go there um so because it would kill you it would crush you right, right. So, so um but are they all class m planets like cardassia and klingon like chronos marmalis are they all class m yes class m is like is basically the earth type planet that um whatever it, i i it, and gravity is basically directly um, based on size and mass, right? So all these planets have to be re- relatively the same size. Right. I'm not a, phys- I'm not a physics expert, but... But what are the Cadassians? Are they like these like fish people, or like is that what they are? Or, like, what are lizard they? people. Lizard fish got people? I think, my understanding... My, my, I always took them they were descended from lizards, because they have scales and Kind of like if a dinosaur became a, a little bit, but those are the Voth, Jeff. Don't confuse them with the Voth. I from, know the Voth, yeah. See? From Star Trek Voyager. Now, yeah, the Cardassians are lizard like. Uh, we know that they drink hot fish juice in the morning. Um, the one thing I, I, I definitely noticed is Dukat and Garrick's like color of their skin is like completely different. Like Dukat's like purple, like this purple gray color, and like Garrick is like this like white beige yeah, color. Yeah. His makeup and, looks weird and his outfit is weird too. And Padar, yeah, so he looks like he's pregnant, Garrick. I don't know what's going on with, uh, with what he's wearing. He's wearing like this striped like um, shirt. He looks like Sandman from, from the Spider-Man comics. Like he's uh, with like a, like a weird vest over top. Like he, For a tailor, he doesn't have a great fashion sense in this episode. No. No, he, he gets better. Garrick does get better outfits, as, as, but, but he this is whatever they threw him he's, into. This he's one. got better than Rugal. Oh, by the way, the other fun fact was the guy that played Rugal, the kid, he was also a kid in other like TV stuff before this, but this was the last thing he ever did. Just turned him he, off acting? He was done with acting. This is the last performance he has on IMDb as a credit. He was that makeup? <laughs> he was done. He was like, uh, I've had it with Sarge. <laughs> He also did a kid, I think, a kid role on uh, TNG in one episode. Yeah, he was the Romulan kid uh, in Unification Part Two. He's the one who goes to Spock. Oh, my father made the had like, or my my parents had these old like uh, Vulcan toys. And remember, Spock is talking to this kid about it when he's on in that in that Next Generation two parter. I, I haven't seen it in a while, so. Yeah, well, he's one. He's a Romulan kid in that. That's what he was. Uh. Is he better in that than this? No, he's about the same. He's about very, the same. <laughs> very much the same. I don't think he's. I'd say he's worse than that. I think he's better what? than this. Why do Cardassians wear football equipment? What do you mean? Like he's Ducat, like and like all those like the Cardassian military guys. Like they wear like basically like a a football shoulder pad. And you know the design of their of their military uniform. Yes. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I always thought the Cardassian uniform looked uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I was it, like, what is this thing? I think it's, I think it's partly designed 
to allow for their big necks to come out of it. Yes. Um, because they have these big, wide, scaly necks. Um, it looks very militaristic. It's 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 rigid. I think that these were easy for them to sort of swap out for actors, depending on what the needs were. Um, durable. <laughs> All these things are thought about. I've thought about it, but I never loved like I, I especially well. I liked that Garrick wasn't one that wore one of those uniforms. I liked that when we got we got a lot of Cardassians, civilian Cardassians who came along in this show. Um, and I think it is important to show the diversity of a species and how they're the same and how they're not, right? And what makes them unique right. and whatever. Yeah, so, how, you're, how your upbringing and how you, where you come from, how the, when those things collide, what happens. And, uh, I think that's what this episode's all about. Yeah, nature versus nurture. And like, does Rugal, what Rugal didn't have anything to do with the occupation. Rugal doesn't have to feel bad about being Cardassian, does he? Um, I, I I don't know. Like I I think it's it's not about whether or not whether he, whether he does or doesn't. He he does, and I could kind of understand. Like if you were like imagine you were like a German kid growing up amongst in Israel, uh, you know, after World War Two. It's kind of you know that's kind of what this would be like. Yeah. You know. Um right. But it's so like Cardassians and Bajorans visually look so different from each other. It's it's also like you can just you can just tell you can tell from across a room that you're a Cardassian, right? Right. Right. But if you're like yeah. a blonde haired, blue eyed German, you're gonna like a look you still be Jewish. Like you, you don't know. You so it, sure you could, but you're not gonna most likely be from the Middle East. Right. But like what I'm saying is that the, the Cardassian the Cardassians who are left on this planet maybe just they stick out a little bit more than than most because of the right. obvious difference between the, the species. But do you think Kaiko's mean for making O'Brien eat the Zabo meat? I okay. My my question was why does like I understood like a little bit why Keiko wanted to replicate a Cardassian dish. But I don't understand why Miles had to eat it. Or was that just because she was mad about what he said about them? The ugly comment he said. I think she's punishing him. Because it's a replicator. It can literally make, it can replicate any food. He can make his own, he can replicate anything he wants. Yeah. He can just put it back in the replicator and get like something else, can he? So we, no. get that, we get that moment where they both push the plate across the table or they cling together and they go, yeah, fuck Kardashian's food. It sucks. You know? Did they get new food, or did Keiko say no? Then no more dinner for you. I don't know. They didn't. They all they show is the next time is Orion's hard at work, and then Rugal comes in from the bedroom. Looks like he went and took a sonic shower or something. And then so he's back, and then they, you know there Orion's doing his best babysitting, man. Like he's he, not only is he fixing the station and making it work, but he's also you know a counselor. He can never fix his marriage though. He's never he's always in shit with a, with Keiko. Because Keiko's kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Like, she's kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, we don't get enough of Brian and Keiko being happy, do we? No, because like he'd rather go hang out with Julian. Or, like, and at, this point, at this point, he doesn't even have Julian, so he's miserable. Yeah, at this point, he's not. Well, Brian's not come alive here. But yeah, um, Keiko, how, well, has she been around this season yet? She has now. 
No, no, no. I don't think she was in the first few episodes. Especially the Bajoran trilogy, the great Bajoran trilogy. No, she was because remember she's like, no, we should go to we like we need to leave, and he wouldn't leave with him. Right, right. that was the only scene. Yes, that was right. And we were like, oh, Brian, you should have went. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, <laughs> you get why he stayed. Yeah, I mean, he's more loyal to his captain than his marriage to Keiko, yeah. his daughter. Yes, <laughs> this is well established, Dave. He's not even a captain yet. He's only a commander. He's a military man. He has to do what's military asks him. Keiko, shut up, or you know, he doesn't really need a Brian. Like we, as we established at the end of the of the siege, which was two episodes ago, that Brian really didn't need to stay. But. No, but yes, he did. He needed to help with the resistance. He had to click the lights, yeah, whatever he does in the one scene. Like um, he had to help with the resistance. But he can't leave Cisco high and dry. See, Cisco's his he boy. There were plenty of other people there. Like he was, he was fine. He, he, said, he said earlier in season one, he's like, if you know, if anyone's got a problem with Cisco, they're got a problem with me. And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, Cisco. I'm Cisco's boy, right? He said that. He did. So, I think so. <laughs> He says okay. that, he definitely says that at some point. I don't think he said uh, he's Cisco's boy. I don't think he said no, that. No, he didn't say that. But you know what I mean. He was like, if anybody has a problem with Cisco, they have a problem with me. He says something like that. Who did he say it to? I think he says it to Bashir at some point. Uh, I don't, oh, okay. I don't recall. All right. <laughs> I just want to know. I'm trying to understand. I, I'm always trying to reestablish, like, what exactly does what relationship does Cisco have with all of his crewmen? I we've established he hates them all, other than he, Dax. He hates Bashir. Yes, O'Brien. He's always annoyed with because O'Brien's not fixing stuff. Well, you want to fix these replicators, Chief? Stop making Zabo meat, uh, the Cardassian stew. I don't want it. Um, and he's kind of like got this intimidation thing with Odo. Him and Odo go back and forth. Odo always wants to quit, and Cisco is always trying to talk him out of it. Yes, and then with, um, I guess, yeah. There's really not that many like stuff. Kira, Kira, yeah, Kira, yeah, well, Kira, yeah. He's pretty. He doesn't, he doesn't come down on Kira too often. I think he likes Kira. He likes Kira. He doesn't like when she goes rogue, but he likes he he tend, he does he gives her the least amount of shit. Yeah, he likes the girls, the boys. He gives the shit to, especially Bashir. <laughs> especially Bashir. Sure, it's just his goat who he likes to kick. Worf too. Um, well, he kicks Worf's ass a bunch once Worf comes on. Well, I always liked that though because I thought that he was like teaching Worf how to become a captain, and that was yeah. sort of like that was the Cisco Worf relationship that wasn't the Picard Worf relationship. That there was much way more of a mentorship between Cisco and Worf. Yeah, but like yeah, because Picard and Worf, it was like more father son. More like, yeah, I need you firing phasers and you're doing well, kid. And well, like when, when Picard goes with Worf to, um, you know, to for the discommendation stuff, like the trial about his father, right? Like, and War- and he stands with him, like, like that. Um, Picard, like, and we, I, I, I do want. We will talk about more of that when Worf gets to the show. But I always, I actually really liked the Worf Cisco relationship. <coughs> Yeah, it's really good. There's a lot of good moments that they're kind of all different, but um, in this episode, I don't know, like the Ducat Cisco got a lot of good, you know, good playing, like pe- people playing against each other, and um, Cisco just seems annoyed to be getting through this episode, kind of like we're probably going to be annoyed getting through season two, but now when we get episodes like this, 
No, I think there's a, we, we, we have highs and lows in this season. And just looking ahead to the next episode, uh, which is called Melora. Oh, this is the one with the gravity, Jeff, as we were talking about. The lady who comes from a planet that's way less, have way less gravity. And it's, a, it's actually another Bashir-focused episode uh, in terms of the main cast character involved. There's a guest star. Um, her name is Melora Pazlar. She's from the Illusion System. And uh, we'll talk about, about that next week. But that look ahead to that. So, so when she's on standard gravity she has to be in a wheelchair so it's kind of it's a it's a, it's an episode about people living with disabilities it's a it's an episode about the fact that yeah like not every planet would have the same gravity and how would you deal with that like let alone yeah atmosphere jeff is definitely a thing that they they touch on sometimes that some aliens don't do breathe different atmospheres but they they tend to avoid that stuff for like recurring characters because it's just complicated so um so she is handicapped on deep space nine but on her planet she's not on her planet or on a ship that just has the gravity set to what she's used to she's fine so when she's in her quarters she can right she can be in her standard gravity so this but, is what i'm talking about so how can she be in starfleet you know well and they talk about that like, like that most people in her species don't go into starfleet because of this that she kind of was someone who went against the grain. And well, why couldn't they just set her up with like an astrometrics lab, set it to her gravity, get her floating around, you know, get, get her, you know, well, the, other, the other alternative is you just like put a whole, a whole ship of only her species out there. Right. Like so that they can all, or at least only people who deal in the same gravity as she does. Right. Like, so from maybe there's other planets like Alasia, um, that 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 would be the case, and then you don't have to worry about that so much. They talk about it like next week. There's there's married couples who get married from different species who don't even breathe the same atmosphere, um, and you find ways to make it work. You find ways to overcome adversity, obstacles uh, like that, if that's what your passion in life is. Uh, but she she gets a real chip on her shoulder because of it, which is kind of what makes her not uh, as 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 memorable of a character, maybe, or as, as 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 beloved of a character. Bashir steps in and ruins it, right? Uh, Bashir steps in and ruins it. Um, right. Job well done. <laughs> yeah, and then he tries to cure her, and yeah, we'll get to that next week. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't play out so well. So, okay. so yeah, so more bit world building. I'm not. I don't think that's the worst episode of season two by far. At least I don't remember it being that bad. Um, so we're gonna be looking ahead to that next week. Also tomorrow on the original series we watch here on Live Long and Podcast, we're gonna be covering an episode called the, the Savage Curtain, which is an episode where a weird lava alien made Captain Kirk and Abraham Lincoln and Spock fight against a whole bunch of villains just to see which was more powerful, good or evil. Is that crazy? It sure is. Check that out tomorrow night at seven. Also uh, tomorrow night on our other channel. Super Mater Brothers podcasting. We're covering the Veto episode for season 22 of Big Brother USA. Uh, we are heading into the eighth week, or we are in the eighth week now. Uh, and this Thursday, we're also going to be covering the Triple Eviction. So that's going to be a two hour episode. We're going to be coming on late at 10 30 that night. Because of that, we're going to do our Star Trek Lower Decks rewatch that we do on Thursdays earlier. Uh, Jeff, we talked a little bit about this, but we're going to be doing 7 o'clock. We're going to. We're all going to have to illegally download the episode 
before it airs on CTV Sci-Fi, just so that we can um, we can check that out and get that podcast in. Otherwise, we'll be talking about Lower Decks way too late. Um, and our third channel, oh, and then we'll be doing Star Trek Radio Theater here on Live Long and Podcast, um, likely on Saturday. Uh, we have to set the exact day. We're doing an episode called Cut Sabrosa, which is the Beverly Crusher uh, and Space Ghost candle thing going on in Season 7. I'm going to be Beverly Crusher. So check that out. And, oh, uh, my. Oh, my. Oh, oh man. Jody, you're our heroes, too. Uh, and and what's the other thing? Trivial Debates. Speaking of Jody Simpson, uh, our, we just did that on Sunday. We did the Triple Threat Tag Team Match. Where the uh, where they were all we were all going to battle me and Jeff versus Jamil and Chris versus uh, Jody and Kevin. I won't ruin it, but uh, it was quite the fight. So check that out if you haven't yet. All right, well, signing off here for Star Trek: D Space Nine rewatch on Live Long and Podcast. I'm Dave Mater on behalf of Jeff Mater. Uh, have a great night, guys, and we'll see you for the next one. Take care. Oh, thank you. <laughs>